Did you know that younger adults report feeling lonelier than older adults? Are you curious about why life expectancy is flatlining or why the number of trees on your street affects the price of your home in the UK? If so, there's a wealth of data available to help you understand these and other issues. Much of that data is collected by the national statistical agencies in countries around the world. The work of such agencies is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, former Chair of Media, Journalism and Film. Our guest today is John Pollinger. Pollinger is the current president of the International Association for Official Statistics and finished a five-year term as UK National Statistician head of the Government Statistical Service and chief executive of the UK Statistics Authority in June of 2019. That is a mouthful, John. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure. So I'm just going to start off very broadly asking you why we should care about official statistics. Well, I think without official statistics, democracy can't function. How do we decide who to vote for unless we can check out the claims that politicians are making about what's going to happen to the economy or society or the environment? How can we judge whether they've been successful? How can we look at whether their manifestos actually stack up? Official statistics are the lifeblood of democracy. Wow, that's a that's a bold Don, statement. I, conversation I, I, over. Wow, wow. I mean, you, you started at a at a really low level here, John. That's <laughs> that's exceptional. That's that's great. And, and you know, it's you know how far you've come from chief statistician at ONS to being on stats and stories. I mean, this cool. is. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are delighted to have you join us, John. Uh, you know, one conversation, I, we both were just at the UN Stat Commission meetings last week, and, and someone made this statement that I thought was really intriguing is that the idea that statistics is, is, is a human right. That seemed like a, a, a really strong and bold statement. Can, can, do you have some thoughts about that or why someone might make that assertion? Yeah, I mean, if you think what are. What, what is needed for a human being to function properly, I think there is a fundamental right to be informed about what's going on in your society. Unless you really know what's going on around you in a way that you can be confident is valid, you're kind of wandering around in the dark. I mean, you're as disabled without statistics as you are without the other human rights. And when the UN was creating the, 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 the fundamental principles of, of, of human rights, um, they were thinking about all of these things. What is it we need to be effective as human beings in society? And that was way back in the day. I mean, now when data is really the ubiquitous commodity in the world, the right to be informed with trustworthy data stands out even more if we're to be good functioning human beings, not just in the UK and the USA, but in other countries around the world. So I'm intrigued by that, uh, that very inspiring first statement you made and it's similar to something that I saw in an interview you did, I think when you stepped down from uh, the UK position recently. Statistics are a pillar of our society supporting the decisions we make at home and at work as individuals and collectively. And the first thing I thought there is we could substitute journalism for statistics. <laughs> Hmm. So, and I, I think that's part of what the spirit of our podcast is, uh, because I think for Rosemary and I, we're interested in the job that journalists do reporting data and reporting statistics. 
because I think the work that you do gets translated by journalists. So my question is, how good of a job are journalists doing? And are there other ways that we could team up? Since I think both statistics and journalism, I agree with you, are sort of central to uh, democracy working well. Well, the message I used to give to statistician colleagues in my organization was you're not, you're, your job is not done when you've published the statistics. Your job is only done when it's reported accurately and fairly and understood by the audiences you're trying to reach. Now, if that's part of your job, a key partner for you is a journalist, whether that be a journalist on TV or there be a, someone who is working in social media with a particular community that matters to you. So journalists are really the friends of the statistician in this place, but they need help. I mean, a lot of them need a lot of um, support to be able to understand data. It's complicated, yes. and we need to spend time supporting them. I mean, the initiative that I would particularly commend is the um, Royal Statistical Society's Awards for Statistical Journalism. So mm -hmm. every year, you would get the best journalists in the room with the statisticians who are reporting the stories and celebrate what's good online and on more traditional media. Mm -hmm. Journalists are the way in which statistics gets faithfully translated to the public, or not. You know, that's a, the, the American Statistical Association has a similar type of a, award, and we just featured one of the, the winners of that award on a, a recent podcast. Uh, and, you know, it, it seems like that would be aspirational for pretty much any country's national statistical societies to think about having that type of, that type of award and recognition for outstanding reporting of statistical information in their communities. I, I really liked in one of the articles that, that you had written, um, you were saying that, that in a post-truth world, statistics could provide essential public service. And one of the statements you made within that, that piece, that editorial piece, was perhaps our real challenge is to take our statistics off the page and find ways to listen and connect with those people who have been left perplexed and disappointed by experts. And I was wondering if you could give an example of, of a case that you thought was very, where that was done very well, very successfully, and perhaps another example where not so much, where it was not successful. Well, I can give, give one very um, poignant example for me, which is when I was working um, on um, uh, poverty statistics in, in the UK. And... Um, one of my colleagues had come up with this conclusion that a particular housing project in London was the worst place to live um, in London. And they produced the numbers and they were going to go and take them out to a meeting of the people in this, um, in, in this place. And the statistician was very anxious about going out there because he was worried about the reception. And he got in there, did his presentation, and there was complete silence. And he was really worried they were going to turn ugly. Mm -hmm. But the community leader who was kind of um, in the room with him said, no, what they have realised, that they now have a voice. They know this is the place with the worst crime, the poorest educational outcomes, poor health. But now the statistics are actually showing it. They can take those into the local authority and make their case. Now, that to me is the kind of powerful story of con statistics connecting with individuals and enabling them to assert their rights links together these various various elements. Now, where I think it's been less successful, and it's another UK example, and it's uh, an example that has been widely quoted of during the referendum for the UK to leave the European Union, 
politicians were going around talking about the state of the economy. And at one public meeting, um, someone was presenting the GDP statistics. And someone in the audience got up and said, hey, that's your GDP, no, that's not my GDP. Hmm. So what they were saying in a profound way was that these macroeconomic numbers were not speaking to that person in their community. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's where statistics in the UK particularly needs to respond. It needs to make sure the statistics it is producing to inform debate do actually reflect the reality on the ground. And the lesson, I think, for, for that within the UK statistical system is the macro aggregates do not connect very well. Oh. You have to have numbers that connect with individual places, particularly, particularly those places that are left behind, and particular communities, whether it be people working in particular sectors or particular ages of people or disabled people, whatever it is, unless the numbers are actually relevant to them, why should they recognize them? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that you you've said is that uh, one of the ways, for instance, to counter fake news or misrepresentations of data and science is, and this is a quote from you, the strong use of narrative as well as numbers, Mm -hmm. which I think resonated with those of us at the table who are journalists. Um, Do you, when you speak to groups, you talk about how do you tell a story about complex data. I mean, I know how journalists, journalists are good at telling stories, not so good with numbers and st- statistics. So there's, I'm interested in in that strong statement where you, you mentioned narrative and the importance of narrative. Well, I mean, unless we communicate our statistics, we're wasting our time because mm-hmm. um, the point of uh, the value we get from statistics is that people have understood them. And, as human beings, we kind of understand narrative better than we understand numbers. So yes. we need to translate the numbers on the page into a voice that people will recognise. And I think we can learn from journalists. I mean, we employed within the Office for National Statistics a number of particularly digital journalists who could mm-hmm. really create pictures, create stories, create narrative that actually hit the spot with, with people. Mm-hmm. Um, Using using video, um, that is the medium by which people interpret the world. So statistics needs to be using that kind of that kind of medium. Um, but it doesn't come very easily to statisticians often because yes. I mean we are trained to be kind of much more um, numerically orientated, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we spend quite a lot of time in the releases in the UK that we have produced. So crime geography where we get data coming in from the police, we get data coming in from victim survey, things like violent crime, we get data coming in from hospitals. And the team, when they're coming up to release, just work and work and work. So what is this really saying? What is the mm-hmm. collective? You can only really tell that with a story. Yes. You can actually turn it into something that is a narrative about life, crime or domestic mm-hmm. violence, whatever it is. And actually, that can help the statistician say something in a few words that would be really hard to get to the novel with, um, with, with, with the numbers alone. Mm-hmm. And often the best thing you can say about the numbers is it's not changed very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something and show that the difference is not statistically significant. That's always going to be misinterpreted. As soon as you start using those words, if you say, well, it's gone up a lot more than it did last year, people will get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gone up by this amount, but it's not statistically significant. They're, they're lost. Yeah. So helps the statistician really sharpen themselves up. What are these numbers really saying? Mm-hmm. You can explain it to your friend, someone you're going out to dinner with, then you've actually really understood your numbers. If you can't, you probably haven't really understood your numbers. 
As you've been talking, I've been thinking about a, a TED Talk I saw David Putnam do uh, several years ago where he was talking about actually the pre- the relationship between press and politics in the U.K., and he, he raised this point, and I teach it a lot in my journalism classes when I talk we talk about ethics, but this issue of inflaming versus informing and how as journalists one of our missions has to be deciding if we're going to inflame or inform people, and, and that has to be, we should be informing, right? But you have to sort of carve a road. And it seems like, you know, you mentioned this this GDP statistic that was being used uh, in the lead-up to Brexit. Um, how do how do statisticians navigate that space of, of having this information, like, about violent crime and figuring out how to communicate it in a way that is informative rather than sort of being packaged in a way that will inflame people? Well, first of all, you mentioned David Putnam, and I've worked very closely with, with him because my previous role was working in Parliament on how you communicate democracy to the public, and David chaired a mission to, to do that. So I learned a lot of my craft from him. So that link is a very, very oh. nice, well-made one. Um, but David obviously is a film director. So you're kind of taking the, the, the kind of methodology from film. And you think of the way film works, you work very hard at it. You have multiple takes. You have lots of ways of trying to frame it. You boil down months of footage into maybe a few minutes of film. The yeah. statistician needs to realise this is something you need to learn. Mm-hmm. And I, when I first had a job where I had to go on TV, I sent myself on a training course. And I spent a couple of days having a really hard time with some really brutal people. <laughs> who really, and I gradually learned it. And that would be my message to my colleagues. I'll also say it's not for everybody as well. And not every statistician is going to be a brilliant communicator. And that's fine too. But you need to know, you need to get yourself a friend who is a communicator and sit by your side and help you get your message out. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with John Pullinger, president of the International Association for Official Statistics. So, so John, you talked a little bit about the how you became a better communicator, and uh, one of the things that you had done to challenge yourself to to improve in that regard. I I think that's an interesting question as I as we as we think about training the next generation, whether it's of journalists or statisticians. You know, the journalists to work with the statistics or the statisticians to better communicate. Do you have kind of other words of wisdom or suggestions for helping us to prepare that next generation? Well, I, I think you need to think of the roles that people are in and then design a, a, a curriculum or a competency framework, depending on what situation you're in, that really enables them to be successful in that role. So within the government statistical service in the UK, we had a competency framework which was very heavily dominated by technical um, elements. And that's kind of fair enough, but it wasn't enough. Mm. And so my conclusion was for every person who is going to be successful as a statistician in the government service, there needs to be a competence of communication. So I actually to define that and work with communications experts in government to think about the competence of communication of statistics. Now, the interesting thing is, having designed that for the statisticians, it then became very heavily taken up by policy officials, um, other people working in other disciplines within government who realised that they needed to have a statistical competence to be a good communicator. So there was a kind of sweet spot um, that was that level of, of understanding and appreciation that sits between the substantive discipline and statistics. And I think that is a message for people working in academia or business or the third sector, wherever else it is, that there needs to be a level of um, subject matter or communications competence for the statistician to be effective, 
but they also need to be a level of statistical competence for the person working in the other discipline or the other function to be effective too. And we need to, as statisticians to take responsibility for both. You've said um, when misrepresentation occurs in fake news, let's just call, call it what we see, whether it's in, from politicians or whether journalists get a story wrong, you say that it needs to be challenged publicly. Mm. Can you give an example of, of that, how you would actually do that? I'm imagining generally statisticians don't do that, right? How, how is that done in, uh, can you give an example of how that might be done? Yeah, I mean, firstly, the, the fundamental principles of official statistics specifically assert the right to call out misuse of statistics. Okay. In the UK, what has happened since we had the legislation that's been in force since 2008, we have had a succession of examples where poor use of numbers has been called out by the statistics authority, um, up to and including the prime minister, various different prime ministers on several occasions. And the kinds of issues where there's been a public statement that has challenged the use of numbers in the UK include the level of the national debt, which kind of mattered at the time we were going through a period of fiscal um, consolidation. Um, flood defences was another one, whether mm. the government is actually spending sufficient money on flood defences, whether their numbers did actually stack up. Uh, education performance would be another one. Knife crime was perhaps the most salient one. Um, where, where ministers were making claims about knife crime that just weren't substantiated by the numbers. And mm. Not only was that called out, but as a consequence, the calculation of those numbers was moved from our interior ministry into the Office for National Statistics in order to restore trust in the numbers. So we have a kind of long, long um, tradition now, going back 10 years or more, of there being an expectation that there will be a kind of official body whose job is to test whether these claims are valid or not. So in the U so in the UK, how good are the journalists are reporting it when you call out this, you know, the misrepresentations? Are you really dependent on them to get that information out there? Sure, and, but I mean, it's a great story for them, isn't it? Um, yes, you yeah. would think it would be. Yes. Uh, and so, so that they do tend to. I mean, they 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 will like that story, and if often someone actually will. Um, make public that they have referred an issue to the statistics authority, and then the journalists will be ringing up every day. Well, have you decided what the, what the answer? <laughs> and that's a tricky one because some of these facts are quite difficult to to validate. Mm -hmm. And really, make sure you get to the bottom of a claim can be very, very hard. And on some topics, the numbers are really difficult. Homelessness would be an example, um, and. Uh, you need to make sure you are making a judgment about statistics rather than a judgment about political discourse. Where numbers are used can be very tricky. And, and we all make sure we take enough time to, to adjudicate it and get some real clarity about what's right or wrong before coming to a, a conclusion. And sometimes that conclusion is where you can't really say very much about this. Um, and so people are disappointed. But again, you've got to really think you're doing something quite important in a democratic space here. So let me let me ask the other John sitting at the table here. <laughs> do, do we have anything comparable in the U.S. that's that sort of official, where uh, where there's a requirement to call out misrepresentation? And why aren't know? you doing it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, I think there's fact checking lots of different places, but I'm not yes. sure of it at the official level. John, John, are you aware of it? 
Well, I, I, the, the fact-checking movement, I think, is a very powerful one mm -hmm. anyway. The full fact in the UK, there are similar bodies in the US, across yeah, Africa, yes. and in various other countries. And I think a civil society movement that has got a real good track record on, on that, in some ways, is even more powerful than an official movement, mm -hmm. because creates a, a following and a resonance with, with audiences. And certainly in the UK, I had an extremely um, uh, fruitful relationship with, with, with Full Fact, and we mm. kind of support each other to think how best we could validate the numbers. And certainly they developed a very strong link into our website, so they'll be able to fact-check in real time. Mm. Certainly during uh. when politicians are making claims live on TV, there would be a feed that would um, enable you to fact-check back as the story was going on. Sometimes in the context of a, like a, a, um, an interactive TV show, um, the claims would be tested kind of in real time. And that's when you start to really be able to, make, to, to um, uh, stop people making false claims because mm -hmm. they know noticed before it's had the chance to hit the spot. Yeah. So, so John, you were just at the UN Statistical Commission meetings last week, and, and that, that was part of the, the origin of things like the fundamental principles of official statistics has been a, a product of, of the UN and, and colleagues of yours and, and you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what, what the fundamental principles of official statistics are and, and why is that an important statement to have been done at this uh, transnational level? Oh, so the, the fundamental principles celebrated their 25th anniversary uh, in 2019, and they were initially published in, in um, uh, 1994 and were triggered by the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm. And mm. What they were trying to do was to set some principles for the countries of the East as they developed statistical systems to serve their populations in, in the new democratic environment. So what was great about that was you had these countries who were still very fresh to the idea of democracy, thinking about how do we design an information system for our citizens that will help them um, create um, and foster better government. So the key thing for me is like this fundamental principle number one, which is that statistics are an essential element of um, a functioning democracy, and they must meet the test Practical utility is the word in the, in the principle. So the key point is to be useful. So it's creating numbers that are relevant to the issues that your particular country is facing at the moment. Um, and that's the way the UN has adopted it. So as the UN has moved forward, it is considering those issues where the current evidence base from statistics needs to be improved if the decisions facing individual countries and the world are to be addressed properly. So in the area of the economy, for example, there is a continuing process of updating what an economy actually means to ensure that emerging sectors are really well understood and measured and put into the right context compared with other sectors, maybe less important. John, given your position and your interest in official statistics, is there a story that maybe across the board that reporters miss when it comes to the numbers that are produced by agencies? You know, there's a lot of reporting on, on GDP, on economics numbers, on poverty, on unemployment. But is there something that, that governments are collecting data on that reporters should be covering that they're not? Um, so the, the big agenda in the UN over the last um, four or five years has been sustainable development goals. Mm. And when the sustainable development goals are being considered by the UN, 
There was a lot of attention on the economy, on social change and on the environment. And traditionally, people thought, well, that kind of covers everything, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Looking at those three things. But there was a very big consultation done across the world, um, citizen-generated data. So what do you actually care about? And the thing which came through from that was that one of the things people care about is trustworthy institutions. They don't like corruption. They don't like institutions that are unfair, institutions that leave some people out or work for elite rather than the population as a whole. So something that was newly put into the sustainable development goals this time that had not been in any measurement framework before was what's now called goal 16. And that covers issues like peace and security and a whole range of issues like that. Now we don't measure those very well because they've not been in this kind of group. But that came out from listening to people saying, what do you need if you want government to succeed and you want to make sure that you and your families are not being left behind? We want to get rid of corruption. We want to improve transparency. So now we have a series of indicators in the framework that capture those things. But very few countries have yet been able to find a reliable method of measuring them. But we will. And we're working on some of these. In some areas, there's, there's, there are some good practices. I've mentioned crime statistics already. So the fear of violence is also a part of living in a, in a peaceful society. Mm -hmm. so those countries that measure um, victimization quite well, the UK and Mexico are two good examples, for example. We are now trying to export what we know to others. Other countries are good at picking up um, other aspects of, of, uh, of criminal behavior. We're working with organizations like Transparency International to understand um, how you get measures of, of, of transparency of, of governments. But once you've got an indicator framework been agreed at the UN level, then you can start measuring what matters rather than the things you always measure. So that's the best example I can think of. Well, John, that's great. And thank you so much for being here. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.